In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm going to give you another edition of the podcast Southern Fried Soccer. In today's topics, we're going to talk about Atlanta United's best 11, Gerardo Martino and the reports that he's had discussions with the Argentina Football Association about returning as their manager, and I wanted to talk about the U.S. men's national team after its recent performances against Brazil and Mexico. Before we get into those topics, I wanted to talk a little bit about me for those who are new to soccer in Atlanta or to this podcast, Southern Fried Soccer. Again, my name is Doug Robertson. I'm a reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I grew up in the Atlanta area in Mableton. I played soccer three, four, five seasons a year, indoor and outdoor, uh, most of my life. I went to Oglethorpe University for two years transferred to the University of Georgia to complete my journalism degree, Uh, went off, uh, worked around North Carolina, Florida, and Virginia before returning home in 2007 as the college sports and golf editor at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. About a year and a half later, uh, the paper did a reorganization and my level of job uh, was changed or eliminated and those in those positions were moved to new jobs and I became a reporter again. At that point, I started covering the soccer events that came to Atlanta, the club teams like AC Milan versus uh, Club America, AC Milan versus Manchester City, the Mexican national team in its first games, and that slowly kind of transitioned into covering soccer full-time. So that's a little bit about me. Now again, I'm going to get into the topics that y'all were kind enough to send to me via email or on Twitter to Doug Robertson AJC yesterday. The question I received most often has to do with which Atlanta United team is the best team. Uh, In other words, what is going to be the best 11 once everyone gets healthy? This was sparked by the return of Darlington Nagby to training yesterday. He had been working by himself for a couple of weeks after suffering his adductor injury in the draw with Portland back in June. Um... He returned and was with the team for the first time yesterday. So that's good news for the team, good news for the supporters. But it prompts the question of where is he going to play? When Nagby was on the field, Martino typically used a 3-5-2 formation. So that's one goalkeeper, three center halves or center fullbacks, five midfielders, and two strikers. After Nagby's injury... Martino switched back to the 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 
that the team used probably 95% of the time last season. And he really hasn't veered from that since Nagby's injury. And the 4-2-3-1, there is your goalkeeper. There are four defenders, typically two center backs, two fullbacks, two holding midfielders, three midfielders from left, center, right, and then one striker. So, again, he's gone, he's used a 3-5-2 or a 4-2-3-1. The problem, or not, I guess it's a good problem to have for Martino is where will Nagby play once he's healthy and ready to go? I don't think he will make the trip to Colorado, which is Saturday's game, or San Jose, which is next Wednesday. But you could see him when the team hosts Real Salt Lake at the end of a three-game and eight-day stretch uh, in the next week and a half. I'm sure Martino would like to try to incorporate Nagby back into either formation. I I think he would probably like to bring back that 3-5-2 formation just to give opponents something to think about and to have it in their back pocket in the playoffs should they get a lead and need to nurse that lead. The 3-5-2 can either be a very offensive formation if the wingbacks really push high, or it can be a very defensive formation with eight guys behind the ball, or I'm sorry, as many as nine guys behind the ball. Um, so, it, you know, it gives you some flexibility in what you want to do. It's I thought it was a perfect formation for Atlanta United when they had Nagby, Ezequiel Barco, Miguel Almiron, Joseph Martinez, Hector Viaba, uh, all the guys that, that all the supporters know and love. The problem that Martino has had is those guys haven't all been on the field at the same time, except for, I think, one particular game. Uh, I'd have to go back and look it up, but I think they've all been on the field only once. And then various injuries have taken away various opportunities for them to play. So getting back to the question, how is Martino going to fit all these guys on the field at the same time? The answer is, I don't think he will. So then who comes off? A lot of people think that the easiest solution is to take off either Lorenowitz or Gressel. That would be Jeff Lorenowitz or Julian Gressel. I could tell you that Martino loves both those guys. He thinks they're the consummate professionals. Gressel, of course, is able to play wherever Martino asks him to play. He's played at least five different positions this season, maybe six. Started at least five or six different positions. He's invaluable to what Martino wants to do. He, he's good on defense. He delivers a good ball. So I don't think he's coming off the field. I think it would be a mistake to take Lorenowitz off the field, particularly because that triangle with he – Leandro Gonzalez-Perez and Michael Parkhurst has been so good for the past one and three-quarter seasons. I don't think you want to mess with that chemistry right now, so I think he's going to stay on the field. So then you start looking around. Joseph Martinez is obviously not coming off the field. He leads MLS in goals and is likely going to win the Golden Boot and the MVP. You're not going to take Miguel Almiron off the field. Chris McCann is your left fullback. Greg Garza could return. Uh, but in the 4-2-3-1, McCann is the left fullback because really there's no one else either healthy or who has been tested. Mikey Ambrose is likely out for the season, so he's not coming back. So you're starting to eliminate the people that can come off the field. Franco Escobar, I think, has been a very good right fullback when he's in or as a center half in the 3-5-2. I don't think he's coming off the field. 
His speed is invaluable, as are I know that he's been knocked on for some of his instincts, but I think he's a very, very good defender and is going to be an excellent defender uh, the longer he stays at Atlanta United. So again, who is going to come off the field? I don't think it's going to be Eric Rometty, uh, since he was acquired in the summer transfer window. He has also been a super-duper good player uh, for Atlanta United. He had a rough game against D.C. United, but everyone had a rough game against D.C. United. But he's been just a revelation as a defensive midfielder and as that bridge midfielder, the role that Donington Nagby plays. So there's two guys that I haven't mentioned who I think are flexible enough that they can come off the bench and provide Martino either some offense if needed, not necessarily the defense, but at least the speed to threaten opposing defenses. And those players are, of course, Ezekiel Barco and Hector Viaba. If you subscribe to the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast, you've heard my thoughts on how Ezekiel Barco is playing this season. Uh, I think he's been a very good player. I think that there's still so much that we haven't seen um, from the Argentine. Uh, I wonder why he doesn't take more players on one-on-one. Some of that may be just simply because of traffic in the middle of the field. I wonder why he doesn't shoot more. That I really don't have an explanation for. He's put himself into several good opportunities each game around the top of the box, and he simply won't pull the trigger. He had a couple of opportunities against D.C. United to take a left-footed shot, at least make Bill Hamid make a save, and instead he pulled the ball back out again. Um, That I don't understand. And if he's not going to take those shots, and if he's not going to take guys one-on-one, he can create all the chances that he wants, but it's not doing the team a whole lot of good, particularly if the chances aren't high-quality chances. That's the stat that most people fall back on when they defend Barco. And it's a good defense, but there needs to be more uh, from the young player. And I think there will be more. I think he's going to be an excellent player. But right now, I think his confidence isn't there. I think you get that confidence back by maybe bringing him off the bench and telling him just attack, attack, attack. Viaba was playing some of the best soccer of his career until the D.C. United game, and I think that was kind of a stinker for him, as it was for most of the guys on the field. I think Viaba is a threat off the bench because of that speed, because of his ability to beat guys off the dribble, a skill that he's showing a lot more of this season than last season. Um, So I think he would be another candidate to bring off the bench. That way you can put Nagby back onto the field. Uh, You can move him either to the left. You can play him centrally. He played on the left at Portland. You can play him centrally. Um, Go back to that 3-5-2 and put Martinez and Almiron as your strikers, which I think would be a fantastic strike partnership. Uh, Or you could put Almiron on the left and let him get a little space and take on guys one-on-one. So finally getting around to answer the question, this is what I think what I think Atlanta United should do. I don't know if they will do it, but I think the 3-5-2 is the better formation with Guzan and goal. Your center backs are Leandro Gonzalez-Perez, Michael Parkhurst, and Franco Escobar. Your right wing back would be Julian Gressel. Your left wing back would be Chris McCann. You'd have Lorenowitz and Nagby. As your midfielders, 
You'd have Almiron on the left. You'd have Martinez. I'm sorry. You'd have Nagby on the left. Lorenowitz and Rometty as your holding midfielders with Martinez and um, Almiron as your strikers. That's what I think is the better is the best use of Atlanta United's talent. If Martino wants to go to the 4-2-3-1, it's going to be Guzan in goal, McCann as your left fullback, Leandro Gonzalez-Perez and Michael Parkhurst as your center backs, Escobar on the right, Lorenowitz and Rometty as your holding midfielders, Nagby centrally, Almiron on the left, Gressel on the right, and Martinez as your striker with Barco and Viaba coming off the bench to, to really provide a punch on offense. So there you go. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Next, I'm going to tackle uh, the Gerardo Martino-Argentina situation. If you didn't see my story yesterday, which was based off a of Fox Sports report, Gerardo Martino, Atlanta United's manager, has had two meetings with the Argentina Football Association about becoming its manager. Now, the context of those meetings wasn't reported. We haven't had a chance to talk with Martino, yet he's scheduled to meet with the media on Thursday ahead of Saturday's game. These meetings could have been simply done out of politeness. It could have been just Martino's agent and not Martino. Meeting with the Argentina Football Association. Uh, They're currently without a coach. Martino is under contract with Atlanta United through this season. Both sides have options to extend the deal by multiple years, uh, Darren Eels has said before. So, you know, it, it, looking at the timeline, yeah, it does make sense. Martino could become the Argentina coach. He's from Argentina. He's already managed the team once. He, he led it to the best success it's had recently, uh, which included two tournament finals. They were uh, not able to win either. Uh, but that's better than they've done in any other event recently. But Martino left the Argentina Football Association, and, or not the association, but left the job as manager of the Argentine national team, uh, which he held for two years, uh, you know, because the football association was a mess at the time. It seems like he's at that point in his career that Moving back into that kind of situation wouldn't be desirable. I, I doubt that the Argentina Football Association has gotten its act together since. It certainly doesn't seem like it based upon the results of the player revolt uh, during the World Cup in Russia. He seems happy in Atlanta. He seems happy with what he's building and the project. He, of course, has been tied to several national teams uh, recently, including the U.S. men's national team, uh, which is still without a coach. I don't think he's going to be a candidate because general man, the general manager, Ernie Stewart, has said that speaking English is a priority. Martino can speak a little bit of English, but if you expect him to put together a complete sentence with context and everything else, it's not going to happen. Um, he speaks Spanish almost exclusively. He does understand English. Uh, he's obviously smart enough that he can learn English, but if that is a requirement, then that, I think, would exclude Martino from the candidacy. He's been tied to Mexico. He's been tied to Paraguay, which has since hired a coach, Juan Carlos Osorio, formerly of the Mexican national team, um, and, and Colombia. He's been tied to the Colombia job. 
So, of course, we're going to ask him about this on Thursday and see what he has to say. I hope that he'll tell 100% of the truth. Uh, that I'm not meaning to imply that he doesn't tell the truth. But like most managers in sports, he doesn't tell all the truth all the time. And that's okay. That's part of the job. He has things that he needs to keep to himself. And, and you know, while I'd love to tell you all all the truth all the time, sometimes it just doesn't happen because the facts aren't given or can't be found. Um, and that's okay. So anyway, Martino to Argentina, that really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't think he wants to enter that cauldron again. Uh, he would have a lot of time to work on the team to develop that next generation of Argentine players before the World Cup in Qatar. But it just doesn't seem like something that would be fun. Now, he could want to return back home. I think his family still lives in Argentina, including his wife. So that could be a reason to go back home. But taking over the Argentina national team doesn't really strike me as something that he would want to do at this point in his career. He seems happy in Atlanta. He seems happy with Atlanta United. I I am curious to see, should the team sell Josef Martinez? Should the team sell Miguel Almiron? In the winter window, I'm curious to see how that might affect Martino's level of satisfaction. I don't think it would make him unhappy because he's been on the record as saying he's told those players he's going to help them get back to Europe. I think who the team fills those positions with or those those slots with, you know, could be could affect Martino's level of happiness. Um, would it be enough to say for him to say I don't want to be here anymore? I don't know. Uh, we don't know until those things happen. And there's no guarantee that they're going to just yet. It seems probable, but not a certainty. So the next topic that I'd like to tackle here on Southern Fried Soccer, and again, I hope that you follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, is the U.S. men's national team's performances in its recent games against Brazil, which they got drubbed, and against Mexico, which they won one to nothing. It's been interesting to watch the U.S. men's national team under interim coach Dave Sarikin. Uh, I like that he has pretty much washed his hands right now of the veterans. I thought that that should have been done by Jurgen Klinsmann and Bruce Arena early in the World Cup qualifying cycle in which they failed to advance to Russia uh, simply because you knew what you were going to get from those guys, from the Josie Altidores, from the Michael Bradleys, from the Jeff Camerons. Uh, and it was time to move on. Even if they had qualified for Russia, it was fairly evident that, you know, okay, they might be able to get out of the group stage, but that was going to be about it. They weren't going to advance any further. I would rather have gone ahead and seen the youngsters get their shot uh, and see what they can do. I'm in the minority on that, I believe. I think that we pretty much wasted a cycle uh, not using those guys long ago. So it was good to see those young players come in. Uh, They got Weston McKinney's, the Tyler Adams, uh, the Kellen Acosta's, um, those guys, the Miazgas, the Zach Steffens, and get that 1-0 win against a very young green Mexican squad in Nashville last night. What is kind of driving me a little bit crazy listening to soccer on satellite radio 
is all the fans and and even my fellow journalists who keep saying the U.S. needs a system, whether it be Spain, whether the Spanish system, whether it be the Dutch system, whether it be something like that, that the next manager can put in and off we go. Well, to me, national teams are about 90% about the talent and 10% about the tactics and the style. Because you can say, this is what I want to do, but if you don't have the talent, it's simply not going to work. The U.S. had its best success with a tactic, and it's a tactic that teams adopt when they simply know we don't have the talent as our opponents, and that's the bunkering and the counterattack. That is the one tactic that can be used because it relies much more on athleticism and endurance than it does on technical ability, in my mind. So you could say you want to play the Spanish system, but the fact is the U.S. simply doesn't have the talent, doesn't have the depth of talent to play tiki-taka soccer, to play controlling possession soccer. You saw it against Mexico. The instincts simply aren't there for the pass and the move. The creative ability isn't there to spring an attack out of nothing. The, the awareness isn't there for a player to suddenly get down the field and exploit the space and create numerical advantages. It's simply not there yet. And it's not going to be there, I think, for a while. These young guys need more time. They need more seasoning. They need more experience with their their teams, whether they be in Major League Soccer or Europe. And they'll get there. But more importantly, we need the depth so that when a player goes out with an injury or isn't released by his club team or picks up a knock, the other guy can come in and do that. That's why the Brazils and the Germanys and, and the Frances have dominated soccer recently because you could put their BC or in some cases even their D teams up against the USA team and they'll be able to go toe-to-toe and they'll be okay. Whereas if you put the USD team up against their A team, it's going to not be a pretty sight. The U.S. has won a few of those games in the past. It's been great victories. But at the same time, I think that it has glossed over some of the fundamental issues that the U.S. has had. Instead of realizing, oh, my God, that was our best team and we had to hold on for dear life against a German B team or an Italy C team, yeah, we got the win. But we should have been saying, gosh, we simply aren't good enough, that we need to get better. The result is important, but how you get the result is even more important. And a lot of times the U.S. should have realized "Eh, we're just not there yet. We, We need to try some different players in some different positions, maybe phase out some of the veterans that we know what we're going to get and that's all we're going to get. So I'm looking forward to seeing the U.S. hopefully continue to use a lot of these youngsters, continue to try different youngsters at different spots phase out the older guys. I, I just don't think that, with the exception of maybe Josie Altador from that old group, that we need those guys in the system, in the national team anymore. It, it's just, we they don't. Uh, Brad Guzan, I think, would be uh, a quality addition. Uh, Darlington Nagby, I think, would be a quality addition to this younger pool of players. Other than that, I want to see those young guys play. I want to see them put in the fire. I want to see them go. I think that they are good enough that they can qualify for the 2022 World Cup. We, the results may not be great, but...
but then you're pointing toward 2026. That's the goal of using these young guys, in my opinion. They're all young enough that they should be savvy veterans by 2026. That's the goal in my mind. I don't know who the manager would be to take them there yet, um, but that's what I think the U.S. should do. Anyway, so I'm going to wrap up this Southern Fried Soccer podcast. I hope you found it to be entertaining and informative. I'd love to hear your feedback. I hope that you'll follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. I hope you'll follow us on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. I hope you'll subscribe to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I hope you'll rate this Southern Fried Soccer podcast on iTunes and share the link with your friends. All right. Have a good day. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.